So far in this series, we have talked to a lot of students and competitors, but they're only one piece of the puzzle. So this episode, I wanted to share with you an interview I did with one of the coaches at the very first tournament we visited, the Peninsula Invitational. From Modern Brain and Newton's Dark Room, this is We Talk to Walls. I'd like to introduce you to Trig. Yeah, uh, well, my name is Carl Trigilio. People call me Trig. Um, and my role here is the national team coach at Modern Brain. The national teams are the teams that are most competitive. The students who really want to get out there and win. Their goal is to get to uh, the national tournament in June. And for different grade levels, that means different things. They don't compete. Middle schoolers are not going to compete against the high schoolers. Um, but, you know, like the high schoolers are working all year to qualify to get to that final tournament and it's a huge tournament. This is like the Olympics of speech and debate, so to speak. Modern Brain has a lot of kids competing at this level. So many that it can be hard to pin down an exact number. Um, I've lost count. <laughs> Not gonna lie to you. Lost count. We, we were growing really, really well. Um, Stan, do you know? I'm kind of going on. I'm, I'm kind of doing my lifeline here. How many kids do we now have on the Nationals team? It's around 200. 200 with speech and debaters, yeah. elementary, middle, okay, yeah, so that that's about right. Trig works with about 18 of those 200 students. I don't work with all 200 kids, that's insane. But we got, you know, a lot of different coaches for different specialties, so, um, you know, I stay away from debate because I was a pretty mediocre debater. <laughs> I had other things I, uh, I was good at. Trig specializes in the speech side of speech and debate, so that's limited prep, platform, and interpretation. I deal with those three types of events, um, and I stay as far away from debate as I can. <laughs> I love the debaters. <laughs> I asked Trig to walk me through the process of how one goes from being interested in speech and debate to a national competitor. If someone walked up to him and said, hey, I want to be on the national team, what would he say? Um, the first thing I would tell them is um, that that's a great goal to have but to also be okay with that goal changing throughout time. I think everyone wants to be a national champion in something. And in speech and debate particularly, that's so hard. You could be one of the best speakers in the world and not be a national champion in this activity. This is largely because speech and debate is a very subjective competition. Could you imagine walking into an art gallery and having to choose the best painting? Or what if I asked you to choose the best instrument? There's so many different ways to qualify that, so many things to consider, and at the end of the day, it can just come down to personal preference. And that impacts your path to success. To be a national champion is not like chess, or it's not like maybe mathletes where the more you know, the better you're gonna be. It's really about the time that you're putting in and you know, focusing on being an individual and finding your voice. Like often the national champions, you can tell there's a, a huge difference between the person who gets first place and the person who gets like fifth, sixth, seventh, even though getting to top seven in the nation is wildly successful um, as a career here. It's a fine line that competitors must walk. On one hand, they have to know their speeches perfectly, not mess up, be confident and clear. But on the other hand, it also has to be fresh and engaging. 
it can't feel stale. Judges, audiences, I mean, just human beings in general can tell the difference between someone who is just speaking and memorizing and has done this a million times versus someone who has done this a lot but is also speaking from their inner core. I mean, uh, you watch these national champions and the first thing that I that I uh, that I that comes out to me it stands out about them is that they're individuals. You know, they got their voice, they know who they are and what they're saying and they believe it. They believe it. So if you don't believe what you're saying or if you don't believe in this, then it's going to be a really hard journey and that's going to be like your biggest challenge is believing. I think, in what you're saying. So this philosophical stuff is great, but what are the concrete steps someone would take if they want to be a national champion? Concrete steps. So step one, find your event. <laughs> find your event. There's so many. There's at least 13 events that you can you can get into, um, and they all kind of cater to slightly different personalities and skills. Right, so I mentioned before limited prep and uh, platform speaking versus like acting and stuff. So they all cater to different types of storytelling and persuasiveness or whatever. So you got to find an event that speaks to you and that honors who you are as well. So that's like also a big part of that. Once you have your topic, you can write your speech. But then after that comes the next important step. Once you've gotten through the writing process and researching process, um, and you've gotten your speech to the time limit, which is usually ten minutes. Then you're on to the memorizing phase. This can be a make or break part of the process. Now you got you to get this in your head, right? No national champion is going to stand up in front of people with a piece of paper in their hand because um, anyone can do that. But the memorization is such a big part of it because it, it really allows you to connect with your audience. Without having to look down at a script all the time, you can make eye contact with your audience or really gauge how they're reacting and adjust your performance accordingly. Once it's written and memorized, you're there. The only thing left to do is compete. Well, once you have your piece, I mean, you're up. If you, we call it like, if you're up and running, then you can do your speech top to bottom. And um, for the interpretation side of things, the acting side of things, there's all these nuances that are gonna be really important, like blocking, which is something I think you know a lot of theater people would understand, your movements, right? In speech and debate, you don't have props most of the time. So you're using these invisible props, but you have to try to make it so that you're building an environment that, you're, that your audience is you know, with you in. I've, I've been in rooms where students or people have performed and I literally feel like I'm with them in this space. <laughs> it's amazing what you can do with your words and your body. It's insane. Each event has its own kind of quirks and particularities. Yeah, for platform speaking, you are finding just different ways to approach that same topic. Um, you're trying to find little nuances here and there, things that happen in the news, current events, right? So before you hit nationals, if there was some really big event that just happened or even happened in that very city that you're about to compete in, some people like to take that recent news and just throw it in their speech last minute and, you know, have this very relevant topical thing that they're saying about where they are in the moment, which I think is also really cool too. That's one of the great things about speech events. You get to build and refine this one speech over the course of your entire competitive year. You know, you're going to be competing 
with the same speech all year long if you choose to. You get the whole year to work on this speech. Some people choose to change their topics halfway through the year, change their scripts halfway through the year because it's not working for them or they don't like it or they found a better one. So that's going to fluctuate. This process of honing or even changing your script really allows you to try a variety of different approaches to find what works best for you. And this isn't limited to just one event either. As we've seen, a lot of students compete in multiple events. What's amazing too is that you can do multiple events. Most of our kids, we get them on two, three, sometimes four or five events if they're, you know, if they're really into this and have that time. Um, and they get to really explore kind of like a track and field where you're not just doing the 100 meter dash, but you might be doing the 100 meter dash, you might be doing the long jump. And so you have these various events that you're kind of competing in at tournaments all at once. Okay. So at this point, you have your speech, you've memorized it, you've rehearsed it, you've refined it. Maybe you've done that for a couple of different events, and you've started competing at basic tournaments. But how do you go from a speech and debate competitor to a national speech and debate competitor? How do you qualify? So how you qualify for the high schoolers. In middle school and elementary school, you can. there's no qualification process. You just take them. Um, but for the high schoolers, it's a little bit more arduous. So the National Speech and Debate Association requires you to do a couple of things. It requires you to be a part of uh, a league, first of all, and you have to have competed at least once in that league. So before you get to a national qualifier, you have to just go to a league tournament, you get to a national qualifier, and then when you get to the national qualifier in your league, you usually have to get something like top three in your event. And they'll be like, so this event has three slots for nationals. So the top three are going to get to go to nationals. And, you know, during, you know, at that tournament, they'll have their regular tournament, you know, semifinals, final round, top seven. And then at awards, they basically just tell you who, who qualified to nationals. That's for one type of national championship. But there's a few different organizations and leagues out there, and each one runs things a little bit differently. So the one I just mentioned, NSDA, is the big one in June. It's the last tournament of the year, and that's how you qualify to that. But then there's these other tournaments, two in particular, that are also big national tournaments, and we call those Tournament of Champions, or TOC. And there's one held in Kentucky at the University of Kentucky, and there's one called NIETOC. We call that NITOC. It's a lot of abbreviations in speech and debate. So those two tournaments are right before the, the end of the year national tournament, and those are also their separate qualifiers. So in addition to trying to qualify for NSDA nationals, you have these other two TOCs that you can qualify for. The Tournament of Champions uses the bid system that we discussed in the very first episode, but Trick is going to run through it one more time with more detail so you can understand just how it works in the context of everything. <laughs> We're going deep here. A bid is essentially placement. Let's just say that a bid is like a placement. Let's say you get top seven. Let's say you get fourth place at a bid tournament, a tournament that offers a bid, a qualifier to one of these TOCs, and you get fourth place. You now have a bid to one of the TOCs, and you need one more. So you might then go to the next tournament that has a bid, and you get third place. So what they do is they'll add up your fourth place and third place, you get seven, and both those tournaments have like a cutoff. So if you have like maybe sixth place and sixth place, 12, that might not be quite enough um, for either of the tournaments. But if you get like third twice, um, that's a pretty good qualifying chance. So you have to go to two tournaments, do well at those two tournaments, and then you qualify to those 
TOC Tournament of Champions tournaments. <laughs> I hope you got all that. <laughs> As you can see, Trig is a knowledgeable coach who can really help get students to their goal of being a national champion. But that's not his only skill. John poked into our interview to make sure that I talked to Trig about something that helps him connect with the kids and hold their attention. Wonderful coach, amazing human, uh, just fantastic at literally everything he does. Uh, but there's one unique feature that helps him to stand out and that um, he's, he is in fact a magician who knows how to do magic. Uh, we even had a summer uh, speech and magic class, uh, you know, where if the kids were good and they did their speeches, they got to learn a little magic uh, and it was pretty exciting. In fact, Trig even paid his way through college with magic. I did. Um, I was paying rent by going to my local um, bars and restaurants and, you know, asking them if they want to hire a magician. And I would uh, meet with them. I would usually at least get to talk to the owners and show them a few things and tell them, you know, like what I can do for their, you know, bring people in, have people stay, eat more, drink more. Um, I wasn't even 21 yet <laughs> when I was performing for all these. It was kind of funny because I was also, I would also see like these professors from my university who would like go to these places and like eat and drink and just like, you know, after a long day and I'd be like, hey, you're the physics professor. <laughs> can I, uh, can I interest you in magic? Of course, I had to ask Trig to perform a magic trick for me. And I recorded the whole thing. Uh, you know cards, you know basic you know, what the cards are. I do, yes. Right, yes, you know. Do you have a favorite, um, maybe like royals? Do you like any favorite, do you have any favorite royal cards? I, well, just go with Jack of Clubs. Um, and you said Jack of Clubs was your favorite? Sure. Okay, so um, before we even start, Talon, and you kind of have to confirm this, this is one of those audio things, but do you feel like this is, it looks like a pretty deck of cards, but it's, you know, more or less normal, right? I mean, they, they, they have like different, uh, there's a deck, they have like different patterns and stuff, but for the most part, it's not like repeating cards, it doesn't look like there's any weird kind of gimmicky stuff going on. Right, I can no? confirm it's, that the deck is very beautiful, beautiful. and very uh, beautiful. standard in appearance standard. Uh, otherwise. That's, that's really all that matters. So what I've done there is I've tricked you already, I've memorized the entire deck already, done. So now I know the location of any card that I need. You named the jacks, and I was particularly paying attention to the jacks. And so I want to see if I can help you find it. The first jack is the easiest for me, because it actually disappears with a snap. That flip you hear? Because it actually disappears. Is a card appearing seemingly out of nowhere. The next jack I can find, all I'm going to do is snap, and it'll jump out of the pack. It'll do a few somersaults in the air, and I'm going to catch with my other fingers. I, me? I, I, I do. I, I am inclined to believe anything at this point. <laughs> anything? Oh man. I, I think so. <laughs> Not a skeptical person. All right. Well then, let's see if we can make your dreams come true here. One, two, three. A card Ooh, flies up and lands in his other good. hand. But it's not good unless it is a jack, and it is a jack. I can convert. We have the jack of spades and the jack of diamonds jack of right there on the table. And the jack of diamonds. Trig continues with his trick. Cards flying and spinning everywhere, appearing out of nowhere. All of them were indeed jacks. And at the end of it, he let me record an amazing sound. A perfect card shuffle. Any magicians could, just by the sound, hear a perfect shuffle. In the magic world, we call that a pharaoh shuffle. When all the cards perfectly interlace themselves. Do you see how every single card has interlaced themselves? I'll show you how I do that right on the spots. You have to 
perfectly cut the deck in half, which is a feat on its own. And then you have to, one by one, interlace them perfectly so that no cards are, re are repeating. And then it sounds beautiful. Check this out. We'll play that one more time. There it is, the perfect shuffle. Do your kids want to try to be a speech and debate national champion? Modern Brain offers both in-person and online classes for all ages and experience levels. To learn more about how to get involved, visit modernbrain.com. We Talk to Walls is a production of Newton's Dark Room. It was written and produced by yours truly, Talon Stradley. The artwork is by my wonderful wife, Rain Stradley. The music for this episode was provided by musicvine.com. Special thanks to John Llewellyn and Modern Brain for making this podcast possible. If you like this show, you might enjoy my other podcasts. Visit newtonsdarkroom.com for more. Thanks, and I'll see you next time. <laughs>